This podcast is sponsored by Ramp. Are you the decision maker in your company? Consider this. For the first time in decades, there's a better option for a corporate card and spend management platform. Meet Ramp, the only corporate card and spend management system designed to help you spend less money so you can make more. Most corporate credit cards offer points as incentives, but those points amount to less than their worth in real cash value. Ramp's business cards offer you cash back, real money in your pocket. Plus, you control who spends what with each vendor. And Ramp software collects and verifies receipts automatically, which means you'll stop wasteful spending and close your books in hours instead of days. Businesses that use Ramp add up to 5% to their bottom line the first year. If you're a decision maker, adding Ramp could be one of the best decisions you've ever made. And now get $250 when you join Ramp for free. Just go to ramp.com slash easy. Ramp.com slash easy. R-A-M-P dot com slash easy. Currents issued by Sutton Bank and Celtic Bank members of DIC. Terms and conditions apply. Here you go. Here you go. Buckle. That's the nothing personal word of the day. It is Monday, October 16th, 2023. And the word of the day is buckle, as in I am buckled watching the game last night, the first game of the American League Championship Series. I am buckled thinking about the All-Texas Series. Get it? Belt buckle. Buckled. That's the best word I could think of as I'm here doing pre- and post-game work at CBS Sports HQ, but the Nothing Personal train rolls on, episode 911, and we're starting in baseball, where we saw something that I didn't expect to see because I thought the Astros would win game one, but the Texas Rangers have taken a one nothing lead because they are streaking. I'm talking Will Ferrell is KFC open, show-me-old-school type of streaking. They have not lost in the postseason. They have been on the road. They've won every time. Well, they haven't lost. Therefore, they've won every game on the road. Hard to imagine. Here's what you weren't seeing when you were watching this game. The fact that they're 6-0 in the postseason, you can read that anywhere. The fact that they've only trailed for one inning, no problem. Get that from another show. It's important to out-homer your opponents. Fantastic. Here's what I was focused on. How come nobody was swinging and missing against Justin Verlander? How come Justin Verlander was using only breaking stuff and he was not confident with his fastball? How does that work in the beginning of the game? When pitchers are in the bullpen warming up, they're communicating with their pitching coach, who's communicating with the manager, who's communicating with the front office. You have an idea before a game starts because the pitcher has an idea before a game starts what feels right. But then there's some players who, when they're in the bullpen and things don't feel right, it doesn't correlate to what happens during a game. Sometimes there's an inverse correlation. The better they feel in the bullpen, the worse they do when the game starts. Sometimes the better you are in the bullpen, the better you are when the game starts. But bullpens are meant to get feels for your pitches. Number one starters, many starters, but I focus on number one starters with this issue, They come in, and if you're going to get them, the way our view is, get them early. And that is the view of many baseball operations departments, which is a good pitcher. Don't let them get settled in. Get to them in the first inning, the second inning, which is why if you want to bet and you go over in the first inning, over in the first two innings, it's a good chance when an ace is pitching versus the entire game. 
So Verlander comes in. He's starting. He's he's one of the most. He's second only to Andy Pettit in terms of postseason starts, wins. He's just been incredible. But I'm watching his pitch selection, and I'm watching the Rangers, who are basically ignoring his pitch selection. They're sitting on breaking balls, and they're not missing. So when you watch a pitcher and you watch a game and you're not getting swings and misses, that is very, very bad for the pitcher. But not a big deal because the Astros offense is going to be fine until I'm watching Jordan Montgomery. Jordan Montgomery, the same guy who the Yankees traded for Harrison Bader. Jordan Montgomery, the St. Louis Cardinal, sort of middle of the rotation guy, swing guy. Yankees say, no, I'm not going to take him. Ends up on Texas. Did you notice the swings and misses from the Astros? It's a different story. Verlander was the journeyman and Montgomery was the ace. So watching the beginning of the game and watching how Alvarez, who is not supposed to look the way he looked, even lefty on lefty, Montgomery's a lefty, Alvarez is watching these sweeping curveballs go to the outside bottom and he's just missing. And so 0-2, you pitch it again, same pitch. Everyone's trying to guess what's he gonna do with two strikes. The answer is when you've gotten a bad swing on the first two pitches, you do it again. You don't say, oh, let's go fastball up and in now. You do it again. So the entire game was me watching Verlander versus Montgomery because they both pitched into the seventh inning. And that hasn't happened this entire postseason. Verlander only gave up two runs. There was a little duck fart single in the second or third inning, and then you had the home run by Tavares. That was it. That's a game you'd expect Houston to win. And when they didn't, I was brought back to last year and how Houston can lose a game one like they may have done in the World Series. And to them, it doesn't matter. To pundits who are watching, they're watching the Rangers streak and they're thinking to themselves, this is it. We've got the Astros. And then you saw Jeter pick the Rangers. You saw A-Rod pick the Rangers. And then there is confirmation bias when the Rangers win game one. And that's the story. Well, I'm going the anti-confirmation bias. I'm going to tell you that I picked the Astros in seven, as you may remember. And that means the Rangers are going to win three games. And this happened to be one of them. So they send out Verlander to give a great quote, which he did smartly. We lost game one in the World Series last year, and that's the great thing about this team. Nobody is sitting in the locker room right now happy, but it's very matter of fact. Okay, we got punched. How do you answer? Well, I don't want to bet your money, but I will tell you that the Astros today with Valdez against Evaldi. Ovaldi's really good, but you're going to hear about my pick of the day, and you can bet your bippy it's going to be the Astros. The Astros will not go down 2-0 at home to the Rangers. What people are going to be talking about elsewhere about this game, they won't talk about the swings and misses. They won't talk about that. They're going to talk about Altuve and how he got doubled off in the eighth inning. I just want to teach you one quick thing about this. When you're on first base and you're down by two runs, and there's a ball hit to the alley, or it's a long fly ball that you think is gonna be a home run. What you're taught is you go to second base, 
and you stand on second base. Because if the ball drops, you're going to be able to score. If the ball gets caught, you're going to be able to get back to first. And if the ball's a home run, obviously you're going to score. And even if you're on second base and you're slow, like a Maldonado instead of an Altuve, you stand on second base. If the ball drops, you end up at third, and you've got first and third no outs in the eighth inning. Altuve, there's a drive by Bregman. Altuve's on first base having walked off Chap. Chapman walked him. Altuve's on first base. He goes past second base by only a tiny step, which you may say to me, what's the big deal? It's only an extra foot. He sort of played played it correctly, but no, he played it totally incorrectly because when Evan Carter caught the ball, Altuve's feet were screwed up and he ended up not touching second on the way back to first and he got doubled off. Marcus Simeon saw it immediately. He took the ball back from Evan Carter, got it on the infield and stepped on second base to double Altuve off. The umpire rules safe. Then they challenge the Rangers do, and Altuve's out. All of a sudden, it's two out, no one on, and Alvarez grounds out, and that's the end of the inning. They're into the ninth. And the maligned Rangers bullpen got saved. And the frustrating part is when you are the Astros and you've done this, you've been there, you know that to win, it's little things that matter, little things that other teams are not paying attention to. The rule of standing on the base, that's something that the Astros know. They won't talk about it. They won't dwell on it. There won't be issues in the clubhouse. You won't hear Dusty Baker calling anyone out. You won't hear Dana Brown or Jim Crane calling anybody out. It's not how the Astros roll. They move on. They have Verlander give the quote, hey, we're good. And then you get to game two. How about the fact that that was such a game that ended before the football game ended? You got to watch the end of the baseball game and then watch the Giants not score and beat the Bills. So today we have a doubleheader in baseball. I love League Championship Series doubleheaders. There's only a very few left this season. We have a game at 4.30 Eastern, 8 o'clock Eastern. It always makes me laugh that the early game, and this happens often, maybe every year actually, the early game is the Astros. So the Astros and Rangers will have played two full games before the Diamondbacks and Philly series has even started. The Astros and Rangers will be on the plane to Texas. That's strange. Are they going to bus or drive? I assume they're going to fly. They'll be on the train to Dallas. They'll be on the horse and buggy to Dallas before there's even the first pitch in Philly. Strange. All right, let's talk about this series. Phillies Diamondbacks, where can I add value given what you're hearing? Phillies are going to crush. It's over. Diamondbacks have struck midnight. They're about to turn into a pumpkin. Their Cinderella season is over. You're going to hear it all. Diamondbacks, no chance, toilet pants. A sweep, maybe five games. So I dug deep to figure out how I could look at this series in a way that other people are not. So I looked at the top two pitchers in Zach Wheeler, Aaron Nola for the Phillies and Zach Gallen and Merrill Kelly for the Diamondbacks. And I thought to myself, is there a possible advantage for the Diamondbacks the way there was against the Dodgers when it was Gallen and Kelly against Kershaw and Miller? And I said to you, the Diamondbacks have the clear advantage. I couldn't quite find it there. Let me think about the bullpens. 
is there a clear advantage? They got the guy Seawald from the Mariners, lengthen their bullpen. How's Philly's bullpen? It's not been great, right? No, their bullpen's been lights out. Sir Anthony and Alvarado and Kimbrell. All right, let me line up. Corbin Carroll, rookie of the year. They got Marte and Walker and Tommy Pham in the middle. That's got to be good enough. And then you look at the fact that Turner and Harper and JT are hitting about 800 each. You look at the top and bottom of the Philly lineup, and there's no outs there. There's no automatic out. Even even Rojas, they're, they're all glove center fielder. I guess maybe he's a quarter of an out. So I said, all right, home field advantage. There's got to be an advantage, Arizona. They're going to be all pumped up going to those games in Phoenix. It'll be loud and proud. No, I couldn't find it there either. So that's not going to work. There's nothing. I basically gave up. I found not one reason that I can tell you that the Phillies will not crush the Diamondbacks. So what are the things to look for? Look for if Gallon and Kelly can outpitch Wheeler and Nola. Look for if the Phillies' bullpen falters at all. Look for if Turner and Harper turn into Betts and Freeman. Maybe that's what happens. Is there a scenario where Trey Turner and Bryce Harper go one for 21 with an infield hit over a series? I, I, I can't see it. Before the Dodgers series, I told you it was possible. If you shut down one of Betts or Freeman, you can win this series. You shut down one of Turner and Harper, you're still not going to win the series if you're the Diamondbacks because that's how deep Philadelphia is. That's how much better Philly is than the Dodgers. Not over the course of the regular season, but now, today, over the playoffs. So let's pretend that Turner and Harper disappear. And for whatever reason, they bat under 100. No, I don't want to pretend that way. That's it. It's done. Here's the preview of the Phillies Diamondbacks. Major League Baseball saying to themselves, there are 21 possible games left. Down to 20 because there's been game one of the Astros series. Two seven-game series in the LCS, one seven-game series in the World Series. And what baseball is saying is, we got to get to at least 19 games because it's been an absolute nightmare with the sweeps in the wild card and the division series round. And no game fives, there was, only, there was one game four, just terrible. So they need 19 games. That means they've got to get two sevens and a five. That's 19, that can work. But you really would like to get three sixes, and that's not even enough. And think about that. Three sixes doesn't get you to your 19 out of 21 games. And so they're looking at the Philly Diamondbacks series, and they're saying, we have got to find a way to get the Phillies and Diamondbacks past a sweep. We've got to see if we can get them to five games, but then we're stuck with two sevens, and that doesn't always happen. So how about getting it to six games? NGTH. I'm going to give you a little wait to see right now. Wait to see is when I tell you something's going to happen. When it does, great. When it doesn't, I promise we'll revisit it. Because I could be wrong. The Phillies are going to win this series. Wait to see. You want more details? The Phillies are going to win in five. Wait to see. To get to 19, we're going to need Astros Rangers to go seven. And then we're going to need Astros Phillies or Rangers Phillies to go seven. And another wait to see. Who's my MVP? 
the much maligned world baseball classic hero, regular season goat until he got cheered instead of booed. And since then, he's been on a bender. I'm talking about Trey Turner. Go look at what he's done since the Philadelphia faithful have embraced him instead of booing the crap out of him, making $300 million and playing terribly all season long after being a superstar at the World Baseball Classic, which was only at the beginning of this year, might I remind you. Pretty amazing that they did not turn their back on their new free agent. They embraced him. Maybe my problem with Philly is I've never been loved by them, so I've never felt the love, so I've never felt the commitment, so I've always assumed they were just bad, angry people. Maybe, in fact, they're amazingly loving people, just not to me or my teams. Hmm. All right. Trey Turner, NLCS MVP. There's an actual official MVP. That's who's going to win. Wait to see. Over the weekend, we forgot to deal with this on Friday, and I tweeted about it, but for those of you not on Twitter, I wanted to give a public shout-out to Matthew Coca this morning. Today is our 911th episode, our normal episode, plus all the sit-downs and mailbags and bonus episodes. I assume we're getting close to 1,000 total episodes. And on Saturday, we had our four-year anniversary. This pod started on October 14th of 2019, I believe that my mother and Coca's grandfather were the two listeners to the first episode. And since then, we have built this incredible loyal base of listeners and people who watch on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. You are buying merch, you're wearing it, and people are noticing. Thank you. We have our own website, davidsampsonpodcast.com. And it's just me and Coca. It is unreal if you go look at top podcasts and the number of people who are working for them and on them. It would blow your mind. And I don't just say this on Levitard to be funny. It's not a bit the number of people who work on Pablo Torre's podcast or the number of people who work on Dan's podcast. Look at any of the top podcasts. There are multiple, multiple people and nothing personal. It's just Matt Coca and it's just me. Just the two of us. Coca, we can make it if we try. Thank you, Matt, for everything you do. And to the listeners above all, and to our audience, we're gonna keep going because we love doing this and we love that you love that we do it. All right, let's take a quick break. I watched quite a few things this weekend. I can't wait to review them. I'm gonna start with the first movie with the Bridgerton woman that I watched called Fair Play. Her name is Phoebe Dinovore. And then we're gonna talk about something that's going on in baseball that has never happened. And something in football that's going on that has never happened. Will one of them happen? Both of them? Neither of them? You're gonna to have to wait till after the break. We'll be right back. The NBA playoffs are heating up and so is the action at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. With same game parlays, live betting, odds boosts, and so much more, don't miss out as the NBA postseason winds down. Through the first round of the NBA playoffs, it's still all about the Celtics and the Nuggets. Will it be a likely matchup between the two powerhouses for the NBA championship? You can bet on the Celtics to beat the Nuggets at plus 400, or the Nuggets to beat the Celtics at plus 425, right now. And if you're new to DraftKings, you gotta check this out. New customers bet five bucks 
to get 150 in bonus bets instantly. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SAMSON. New customers can bet five bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SAMSON. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. That's 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino Resort in Kansas. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Quentin, Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.co slash bball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to Nothing Personal. It is David Sampson. We are live every morning at 8 a.m. on the Nothing Personal with David Sampson. David Sampson. Four, eight, wipe it, Coca. That was too much. Four, eight, 69. The Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube channel. There's a movie called Fair Play. I wanna talk about this movie because it will go right into our next topic as well. Fair Play is about two people working at a Wall Street firm and they're having a secret relationship. That is not a surprise. There are relationships in your office happening right now. There are relationships in every office. There are rules about relationships inside your office. You have to disclose it to your human resources department. If you don't, you can get fired. If you try to hide them and you get caught, which you will, you'll get fired. And the reason why we have that philosophy we had people with the Marlins who had illicit relationships, got married, got divorced, broke up. It happens when you're working in a big company all the time. And the reason why you try to avoid it is because it can cause some discomfort in the workplace. And it can cause, especially if it's a boss with a underling, the reason why that's called harassment, not assault, it's harassment, is that you don't want the person lower in the company to ever feel, and it, it's usually man-woman, but it could be woman-man. It doesn't matter, it could be woman-woman, could be man-man, it doesn't matter. You don't want the person lower in the chain to feel as though they have to continue in the relationship or risk their job. That's the only thing that's being protected. The gossip by the water cooler, hey, do you know this person's doing this with this person? I don't really care much about that because gossip is always gonna happen. What I always cared about is I need to make sure that people feel good about doing their job and I wanna be able to measure their performance not based on their relationship, but based on whether they're good at their job. And I don't wanna worry about managers, and I don't mean on-field managers, about managers who are giving assessments to people below them. I don't wanna worry about fake assessments because I count on them to tell me what's happening for bonuses, for raises, for promotions. I don't wanna to have to think, oh, they're having sex. No wonder she said that he's so good. So fair play is about this concept where there is a promotion that happens and there's a couple having a relationship and one of the couple gets promoted. And you'd think that it was the man and the man thought he was gonna get it, but the woman got it because she deserved it. But now it changes the entire relationship. And the concept is, we see this with men 
all the time, you don't often see it with women. And when you do, it's noteworthy. So a movie like Working Girl with Melanie Griffith and Harrison Ford and Sigourney Weaver, women who are powerful and smart and brilliant and attractive, the view is they can't be all of those things. Hopefully, we've gotten way past that as we should have because you can be all of those things. And there are women who are way better at running companies or way more deserving of promotions than men. And sometimes they don't get it. It's the same thing. It happens with, that's what racism is. When someone gets something they don't deserve. And I'm not talking nepotism. I'm talking where you are discriminating on the basis of sex or race. So Fair Play goes through in a sort of thriller type of way of what happens to a relationship when the power dynamic changes. I love thinking about the power dynamic. I think about that all the time. Because what I used to think about is how do I take advantage of the power dynamic? What do I do to get people to do as president of the Marlins that I want them to do where it's their idea, except it's really my idea. And I want them doing things that will benefit the company and me, whether it benefits them or not. And I'll decide whether it benefits them when it comes to bonuses or when it comes to raises, but I need the motivation there at all levels of the company. When there's a change in the power dynamic or something that happens that people don't expect, and it's not sex related or gender related, it's when in the normal course of events, someone gets a promotion where there's a question, why is that happening? We don't respect this person, that person shouldn't be our leader. That's when you have a problem within your company. Fair play goes through all these different things, goes through what happens in a relationship when the woman becomes the one in power and how she changes or they change or the boyfriend changes or the relationship changes or the feelings change. There is a quote, Coca, we didn't talk about this pre-show. One of my favorite movies is Up in the Air. Anna Kendrick and Vera Farmiga and George Clooney. And they're sitting at a airport lounge one day and Vera Farmiga is giving advice to Anna Kendrick about relationships and about life. And asks what kind of man are you looking for? It doesn't matter, she could have been looking for a woman. This is not about heterosexuality, homosexuality. And Anna Kendrick said, I just would like a guy who's you know, fun and likes dogs and has a Jeep Wrangler. And she goes through all these things. And it was very surfacey. And Vera Farmiga says, well, are you gonna ask me what I would like? Here's what I would like. And she goes through a few things where having hair doesn't even matter. As you get older, your standards change. She said, don't make more money than your husband. <clears throat> don't make more money than your husband. That is not a movie from 50 years ago. Up in the Air is a pretty recent movie. And that is the common concept, which is in a relationship, when the woman has the power or the woman makes more money, it creates an issue because men are so damn insecure. What a terrible, terrible thought process that that actually happens. But it's real and it's in sports. 
The reason why it was so noteworthy when Kim Ang became the first female GM of any professional sports team, the reason why it was so noteworthy when the San Antonio Spurs hired Becky Hammond to be an assistant coach, the first female assistant coach, the reason why it was so interesting when the San Francisco Giants, they were the first one to have a female trainer. I remember very well, I was in the game when it was announced that the Giants were gonna have a female trainer. And I spoke to our GM at the time and I asked a pretty simple question. How does that work? <clears throat> what's, what's our view of that? And our view was that we would not be against it, but we had to figure out how that would work. How does it work with lockers, clubhouses? We need a separate area for people to change. How would the players react? I'm sorry to admit this, but on nothing personal, I admit what was really in our heads. And what was in my head at the time, in the early 2000s, what year did San Francisco Coca, would you say, hired that first female trainer? I'm gonna say it was early 2000s, if I had a guess. What was in my head was not that I didn't want to hire a woman. What was in my head is I didn't wanna be the trailblazer. I didn't wanna have to figure out the logistics of it. And I look back and I'm mortified by that. That is how nobody ever makes progress because no one has the guts to make progress. And I was too busy, not like an old boys network. I was too busy saying, I've got so many other things to worry about. I don't wanna worry about this. Absolutely asinine. If you've got people who are qualified to do a job, you hire them. And I did that in the front office. I didn't care about color or sex in the front office, both baseball and non-baseball, ever. Because I always knew that I only had one thing in mind and that was, I wanna find a way to be more efficient, to make more money, to sell more tickets. Why did it occur to me that doing it on the field or in the clubhouse wasn't the same thing? And I look back on that as one of my many regrets. The San Francisco Giants have been leaders in this effort since the beginning. A few years ago, they hired an on-field coach. Her name is Allison, Alyssa Nacken. And it came out yesterday from Andrew Baggerly that Alyssa Nacken interviewed for their managerial opening. And I looked at that article and I said, my gut, my knee jerk was good for San Francisco, check the box. It used to be you had to check the box for a minority interview in, with color. Now, check the box, interview a woman. Which means, are we one step closer to having a woman manage a team? We already have a woman as an on-field coach. Alyssa Nacken's been on the field for years. Four years she's been in the dugout in uniform. She does, she's an assistant coach. She does base running and outfield, critical stuff. But going from coach to manager, I always viewed it's totally different. There are many coaches who if you ask them, they don't wanna be a manager. Perry Hill was famous saying, I'm a first base coach. Don't make me be a third base coach. I don't want the responsibility. I don't wanna bother, I'm happy. I'm infield, I'm first base, done. He's not the only one. He's the only one who'd admit it, but not the only one. There are people who just are good where they are. Like in your company, they don't wanna be the CEO. They're happy being middle management. 
There's nothing wrong with it. Recognize what you are, what you want, and then get it. And if what you are and what you want is not to have the, the worries of being in the C-suite, great. If you're a coach and you don't want to be a manager or you're an assistant coach and don't want to be a head coach or if you're the head coach at a medium program and don't want to be the head coach at a top program, I'm not being critical of that. What we do in baseball and what is being done in other industries around our country is there is a line that's being drawn between what was formerly known as eyewash and what is now turning into actual change. That's amazing. Eyewash is the world that I lived in. Interview a minority. Interview a woman. Pretend you're doing this. Pretend you're doing that. Eyewash. We knew before we interviewed anybody who we were hiring. Has it changed where the Giants know who they're hiring, but they're interviewing internal candidates? They're interviewing Alyssa, even though they know that they're going outside of the San Francisco Giants to get a manager where they're not ready to actually name. Kim Ang had an interview with a bunch of clubs before she got her first chance. It was no coincidence that it was Derek Jeter and Bruce Sherman who gave her the chance after firing Mike Hill. There is a reason and there is a season for change to happen in slow changing industries at times when change is really hard to do. But these steps, these interim steps matter because without them, you don't get to where we're all supposed to be already. Interviewing Alyssa, critical. I do not believe she will be named manager of the San Francisco Giants. What I do believe is that now she will have opened the door, whether it's for herself or others, to be considered. And eventually there will be a woman manager or coach of one of the four major men's professional sports. And you know what? I can't wait. Okay. Let me do, uh, let me tell you, so I read something strange from uh, Sean McAdam this morning, Coco. Did, did you see this? Or yesterday, whenever I read it. The Boston Red Sox, when they fired their chief baseball officer, Chaim Bloom, they need a new GM or new president of baseball operations. And for whatever reason, there's a rumor that according to multiple sources, the Red Sox have been met with rejection by some candidates they've targeted to replace Chaim Bloom. I don't want to yuck on anybody's yum or say that there's been some bad reporting. I can only say that in 18 years, we worked for a team, I worked for a team, low payroll, very involved owner, not a lot of winning, won a World Series in 03, but after that, not a lot of winning, some good years, some good players. We had openings all the time in the baseball department. The thought was players wouldn't want to come play in Miami. There's no attendance. The team stinks. President stinks. Thought that people, why would anyone come in the front office? <laughs> it's absolute horse hockey. Michael Hill, the aforementioned Michael Hill, was working for the Colorado Rockies and came to work for us in 2003. Came to interview. He was a very sought after candidate to be an assistant general manager. He was ready and obviously he grew into a president of baseball operations and to the SVP role he has at baseball now. Full disclosure, he's a friend. But when he, he wasn't a friend when I first met him. He was just a 
another guy we were interviewing, someone who Larry Beinfest, our GM at the time, said, hey, let's interview this, because in 2002, me and Larry were the only two people running the team and needed help. Mike Hill comes in, and he had heard so much stuff about Jeffrey Lurie, about David Sampson, about their leadership. Mike Hill could have written his ticket anywhere. He was looked at and offered by multiple teams. And he liked our offer because he met us and we were totally normal, contrary to what Mike Berardino and others would think. Players, not one time did a free agent look at us and say, oh, I'd really not like to sign with you guys because you're too involved and because you don't win enough. All that was ever asked is what are you going to pay and how many years will you pay it? For the thought to be that there are people rejecting the Red Sox, what, because of John Henry? Because of Tom Werner? Because of Sam Kennedy? Because there's a bunch of people still in place from previous generations of GMs? No. That's not it. The reason why people do not accept interview requests is threefold. One, their families don't want to move. Two, they're making as much money in their current position as they'd be making in their new position, the only change would be title. Three, they view the change and the time of the change as not appropriate in their career. It's not about the team, the location, the owner. It's about the timing in their career. Because the thought is you have an opportunity to move up, to be in charge of your own team, you don't get that shot too many times. And if you're gonna turn it down, the opportunity to interview to have that shot, you better have your reason. And that's where I tell you, family, timing, money. Working for the Boston Red Sox, it's a dream come true. Working for the Arizona Diamondbacks, that's a dream come true. Working for the Miami Marlins, that's a dream come true. There is no shortage of candidates, both inside and outside baseball, who want their dream to come true. So for those of you piling on John Henry and Tom Warner, I cannot believe I'm defending them, but I have numerous times on this show. For those of you piling on saying, look, they can't get anyone. They're gonna have to settle for some schlepper. Stop believing the narrative, please. So the Red Sox are putting together a list of candidates. Everyone's saying they can't get anyone external. They're just gonna promote from within. They'll find one of their AGMs and do what Jerry Reinsdorf did. Move Chris Getz up to run their team. Hey, this guy's gonna be different. I gotta wait to see. This is my fourth wait to see the day, Coca. You have to put all four in the document. The Red Sox are going to hire an external candidate to run their baseball operations. The Red Sox will not promote from within and say, we're done, we're fine, because that will further the narrative that they couldn't get anyone externally to interview. They do not like that or want that narrative out there, nor should it be, because I'm not buying it. That said, I'll die on the hill. The Red Sox are going to hire an external candidate. Wait to see. So I told you about our nothing personal pick of the day. We had the Astros over the Rangers. How did that do? We did have the Bengals over the Seahawks. 
Why were they only favored by two and a half? Well, because they won by four. Joe Burrow's back. What a weekend in the NFL. It was like upset weekend. I thought the Giants were going to score there at the end of the game because that would have been a perfect end to upset weekend. It makes total sense to me. No more undefeated teams. You had the Eagles lose. You had the Niners lose. Clock mismanagement. A lot of good stuff. But we got our win. We are 145 and 148, and I'm trying for 500 today. I got three picks. Don't forget we have the doubleheader. We're taking the Phillies over the Diamondbacks. So I am taking, believe it or not, Wheeler over Gallon. We got the Astros over the Rangers. I am taking Valdez over Rivaldi. And then we've got the football game, in case you want to watch football as well. At CBS Sports HQ in Stanford, there's a great green room with TVs and monitors everywhere and free food and candy. And so I'll be able to watch all the baseball games. Well, there's only one at a time. And the football game. Cowboys Chargers. Don't forget last week the Cowboys got crushed by the Niners who lost to the Browns, which means the Cowboys are worse than the Browns by transitive property of suckiness. Except in sports, it doesn't work that way. The Cowboys, for whatever reason, are only giving one and a half to the San Diego slash Los Angeles Chargers. We're taking them. Even though it's upset weekend, we're still taking the Cowboys to rebound from their loss. And that's our pick of the day. NFL. Something came out yesterday that got the office talking, the studio talking, trying to figure out how excited they are. And they're starting, CBS has the Super Bowl this year in Vegas. And they're filming all these promotions. They flew out a bunch of anchors to Vegas and they were filming stuff in the fountains of Bellagio, which is pretty cool. It's gonna be insane. The F1 is happening in Vegas. The Super Bowl is happening in Vegas. It's Vegas, baby. I mean, who couldn't support five professional sports teams in a market that's really based on special events? Yeah, we'll see. So the Super Bowl is coming, and I was thinking to myself, will it ever leave Vegas? Because owners are going to be super happy to go there. It's why there's never been a Super Bowl in Minnesota. Vegas will be part of the rotation. Totally normal, as it should be. Vegas, Miami, South Beach, California. It all makes sense. How come there were rumors yesterday about the Super Bowl? going to London. I tried to think from a business standpoint what Roger Goodell was doing. When asked about whether the Super Bowl could ever be in London, he said it is not impossible. Well, that sounds like a double negative. What do you mean, Roger? What he means is it's possible. A Super Bowl at Tottenham? A Super Bowl at Wembley? Can you imagine a Super Bowl in Europe? What time of day would it be played? Well, remember the time difference. The afternoon games are played at 9.30 a.m. our time. Well, East Coast time, 6.30 a.m. West Coast time. You would have to play the Super Bowl at 7 o'clock at the latest in London, which is roughly 2 o'clock in the States, in New York, at 11 a.m. So Super Bowl Sunday would be over on the West Coast by 2 p.m., over on the East Coast by 5, taking the Super Bowl out of prime time, making Super Bowl Sunday a Super Bowl morning, 
breakfast at the Super Bowl the way they do breakfast at Wimbledon? Or maybe just have the players play at midnight. That would be 6 o'clock or 7 o'clock the way they play now. No big deal. What about taking the Super Bowl out of the United States in a way that would make certain presidential candidates very unhappy that we are exporting jobs and excitement? What would be his reason for giving you the double negative? And then I realized the Super Bowl is not going to London anytime soon. Owners are more than happy to go to London and that'd be exciting. But there are too many places in the States that need Super Bowls and there's too much money at stake. What do I mean? Local sponsors descend on the Super Bowl. NFL sponsors, national sponsors who give a lot of money to the NFL. They budget to activate at the Super Bowl. Part of the reason why sponsors give so much money to the NFL is what they're able to say is their return on investment. When they go to their CEO or their CMO, they say, hey, we want a Super Bowl commercial because of X. We want to be a sponsor of the NFL because it gives us Y. And here's how we measure it. Those are companies who are doing business here in America. There is a level of business done over in Europe. There's a level of business done in England, but it's a pittance compared to what these companies expect and need as their rate of return here in the States. Then you've got marketing people who use it as a boondoggle. Every year they go to the Super Bowl, they have Super Bowl parties, whether it's in New York, whether it's in Minnesota or Vegas. It's a trip that is budgeted, paid for by sponsors. To go over the pond is a level of expense that the NFL knows would have a deleterious impact on sponsorship dollars because there would be a larger budget required for activation with a smaller return on investment. So therefore, having the Super Bowl overseas doesn't make financial sense unless you can say to your sponsors, hey, for one year we're going to Europe because the benefit of bringing our great Super Bowl, the greatest day on the sports calendar, the benefit of giving it to London is that it will be the kickoff to international expansion. Because we're gonna announce expansion, we're gonna announce a Super Bowl, and we are gonna own Europe. We're gonna own it. Now I get it. That's what Roger Goodell is doing. He's not saying you're gonna have a Super Bowl there as part of a rotation when there's no teams in Europe. He's saying, in the package that's being put together for multiple teams to expand into Europe, which he has been giving you the breadcrumbs about for years. It's like MLB offering an all-star game to a city when they get a new stadium. Hey, build a stadium, give billions of dollars if you can, and by the way, we'll give you an all-star game. <clears throat> Wouldn't it be amazing if part of giving teams to London was that they were given one Super Bowl and you just tell your sponsors it's one off. They're not in the rotation. It's just part of the package. I think you're gonna see it. I'm not ready for the official way to see, but I'm certainly willing to explain why Roger Goodell would say that it's not impossible.
So as Jim Carrey likes to say, so you're saying there's a chance. We'll be back tomorrow, 8 a.m. live. I promise you that. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Thank <laughs> you.